0: I was just praying out loud to God because nobody was out there. And I was just like, God, whatever that was the other day, of just pure, you know, like, pure, pure creativity. Boom. I was like, whatever that was. Thank you. I know that was you. And Tatiana, I don't know how to describe what happened next other than like, it felt like I got hit by lightning. And I was like, boom, and just like saturated with God's presence. And I was just like, so much so that I dropped the box of bananas and then like fell over the top of it. And I was like, and I was just like, what in the world was that? I was like, God, what was that? And and I was like, anyways. And then I just started breaking the bananas down again.
1: Hey, Prophetic Justice podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to continue the conversation we had with Jeff Thorpe. Jeff is a creative at heart with... 15 years of experience in video production, editing, and design. He loves sharing all that he's learned with others. He currently co-produces and hosts the live stream, Elijah Fire. Five days a week, he's joined by a variety of guests as they discuss happenings in culture, prophecy, as well as the big issues of today, all with a biblical perspective. He's also spent time traveling the world as a short-term missionary through Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM where he aided in humanitarian efforts, evangelizing, and encouraging local Christians. Jeff's passion is in encouraging other creatives to walk with confidence and instill hope and joy for others. He is passionate about filmmaking and is an avid action figure and comic book collector. He currently resides in Salem, Oregon with his beautiful wife, Lauren, and their cat, Lulu. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. Man, I love that so much. Yeah. I'm actually gonna look it up. I could explain what sex tourism is very easily, but do you want to explain what it is? Because I think yeah, a lot of people don't know that term.
0: Yeah. So there are places in a lot of countries. Uh, I think the Amsterdam famous Amsterdam red light district, which I think they moved it, but I can't. I, I know they said they were going to, but I'm not sure. But anyways, Amsterdam. Uh, there's places in India. There's places in all over the place. Thailand is a famous one though, specifically at Pattaya, and then also in Bangkok. Those are two big hotspots for sex tourism. What it is is you go and it's these uh, massive, uh, like block city blocks, maybe even bigger, um, of places where you can do a whole myriad of things. You know, a lot of it is prostitution, but there's also strip clubs. Um, and a lot of other things. The problem is, is it is also a massive hotspot for sex trafficking, not just with women, kids specifically in Patia. I've never been to Patia, but I've had friends that have gone, and they're like, "Oh man, it's it is. It's all out there. Like it's it, they don't even hide it. And so um, it's all yeah, it's very very prevalent. There's massage massage parlors, quote unquote, um, all kinds of things. So yeah. Um, and so was this your
1: first time kind of thinking about the issue of trafficking or had you has had this been on your radar just due to kind of YWAM in general, like, yeah, what was your experience up to that point? So mine was
0: more at that time was more about raising awareness. Um, I had several friends who ran organizations that, they had already been working with that and they had several places over specifically in Slavic nations Eastern European uh where they uh they had a recovery kind of recovery homes of girls that they were able to work with different organizations and get them out and get them kind of reintegrated get yeah. them counseling all those things um I think that's one of the nice things about a lot of Christian organizations is the need for counseling and i'm sure there are now a lot of more secular organizations that are doing that but at the time i just i that was a common denominator i noticed with a lot of christian organizations and also kind of teaching them trades and teaching them skills um You know, there was a a place in India where I worked, where they, they had a lot of women there that that was what they did. There was like a bakery and there were, there were, they had like a textile thing and, and jewelry business all within house. So they stayed there and they were able to work and kind of, cause some of these, like, you know, now women were little girls when they were trafficked into this. Right. So, uh, so a lot of it was raising awareness, especially around that time, not as many people were talking about it. Um, and so that was what I was doing up until this, where I was like, this is my, this is my, my time. This is my moment, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah. so it was crazy. Like,
1: uh, how would you do Like, can you yeah. just even share just like yeah. what a day was like? Yeah. So
0: we only did it a couple of times work. just because of the nature of our schedule and everything else we had planned. Um, cause you kind of plan it out on advance in hindsight, I would have had, pretty much everything we did this just because of how impactful it was for everybody I led a team of 26 people and yeah every single one of us were like that we went to China and Thailand and we're like that was one of the highlights hands down the MST project Uh, but there were two different locations we went to one was like a big square so it's like you walk through this alley and it opens up and then it's like all these balconies kind of line the square, three different levels. And there's all these bars down below. And then the second level is strip clubs. And then the top level is all of the like real nasty stuff and like prostitution and other stuff. And uh, and uh, so what we would do is we had these black envelopes. It was black and it had a red question mark on it. And so um, what we do is we just hand it to people and we say, hey, do you have a second to talk? And and there was all these uh, materials in there about sexually transmitted diseases, about the percentage rates of girls and kids that are there, not by their own choosing, um, testimonials from women that have been taken out of these areas, and even, I think, men that used to be sex tourists. So that's the other thing about sex tourism is it's it's men that might be in Thailand on business. Yeah. Uh, it's literally
1: a tourist location. Like it's yeah, or literally a sex tourist location. Or that. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or they go there for that. Yeah. And a lot of them are European, American. Um, you know, there's quite a quite a, quite a bit. Um, and um, yeah, I, we actually bumped into a famous actor there that I will not say that. Actually, I will say their name because they're not alive anymore. It was the actor William Hurt. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, he yep. was there.
0: Uh, wow. And we're like, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah. And oh, so, man. yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like I can actually say that publicly because he's yeah, like, I not, think that, he's not yeah. alive anymore. Um, yeah. So that was pretty wild. Wow. Um, Did and you actually, get... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. My friend was the one that actually talked to him and he was like, yeah, he's like, he didn't say his last name, but my friend was like, I know exactly who you <laughs> like are. The, Cause the yeah. guy's got a, William Hurt, the actor has a very distinct voice and he's, I think he was tall too. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, That's
1: wild. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah. So basically we would just engage with these men. It yeah. was always men. We would stop and engage that men. That was my question. And-
1: was there any ever, ever. Women coming through. that so you would see to.
0: women, but they were like Thai women, and I think they were often kind of the girls that would work in these different parlors and and kind of you know schmooze and and get you know try and get the men in the bars. And the crazy thing was this. So uh, at this time, you know, outside of kind of the the, this is like my first time out on my own. Not in you know. Yeah, because I I wasn't going to my church, my Calvary Chapel church at the time. And so, you know, just really uh spent a lot of time with the Lord. And and so I was beginning to operate in discernment, words of knowledge, things like that. Not really having language for them per se yet, but that's what I was operating in. And it was interesting because Chris Lenty, the the leader of this, he was, uh, you know, we were on the lower level and he goes, All right, so we're here. I started feeling super lonely and sad. And I was just like, man, like. And I was just like looking at it and he goes, so down here, you're going to start feeling uh, a lot of loneliness and sadness. And I was like, that's exactly what it is, man. And then he's like, because if you, he's like, if you look around, he's like, don't be obvious. But if you look around, you'll see a lot of guys sitting by themselves at the bars, just kind of looking around. A lot of these guys are here on business. They're lonely. They're sad. They're looking for love and companionship. Yeah. And I was just like, man, my heart just started breaking for these guys. And then he's like, all right, so we're gonna go up to the second level. This is where you're gonna get strip clubs and things like that. Uh, he's like, I would strongly advise you not to look into the doorways, which are open, uh, because there's gonna be some nudity. And yeah. uh, and so, because we before we did any of this, we we spent a long time. Guys would meet with guys, girls would meet with girls, prayer, confession, praying over one another, getting any sin out that, you know, you may have been having lustful thoughts or whatever leading up to, and we spend time in prayer and worship collectively. Then we got there on site and there was, um, he's an Indian tailor actually just off the Vashi, shout out to Vashi. Yes, Vashi, hope you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. and, And, uh, and he, um, he would let, um. You know, Chris's teams hang out there, pray. Wow. Brief before we went out. So there was a lot of prayer. So when you went out, you felt like I felt so razor focused or laser focused on like just engaging these dudes. You know, my, my conscience was clean, all these things. And so, so I he, love so was,
1: that you said that because yeah. I do think that can be, well, First of all, there's not a lot of men working in this field of anti-trafficking. It's mainly yeah. a lot of women. Um, but yeah. I do think no matter who's working in it, in, if you're a Christian, that is something we don't focus on enough is like the fact that you need to clean out your own heart before you go into a space like that. Yeah. You're going to get 100%. attacked by
0: Satan. You know, yep. he wants you to feel like a hypocrite so that you, you bow out, you know, yep. all that and it's stuff. and
1: it's a sexual issue so that is gonna if you're not careful that is gonna start to affect you and so yeah to be that's amazing i love that that was a piece of it okay sorry continue
0: no it's all good so then uh, so we're on the the ground level and he's like you feel loneliness and sadness but i already be feeling that i was like whoa yeah man and then he's like, "All right, second level, you know, is more of a peep show." He called it. He's like, "So it's strip strip clubs and 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 that kind of stuff." There's other stuff going on too, but that's sort of what it is. It's more look but don't touch. But you're you know, it, it's a little bit further into this whole thing. He's like, "Yeah." So uh, he's like, "You're actually going to start feeling a heaviness, uh, like a physical heaviness as we yeah. get higher up." And I was like, "All right, cool. I, I okay, I'm aware and." we went, we got up the stairs and I remember my feet hit that, that second level. And all of a sudden it was like, like, I felt a a physical heaviness. I'd never felt anything like that before. And I was like, I even like looked at one of my friends. I was like, Whoa, did you feel that? And I was like, and I mean, everybody was feeling it. And so we're walking around and you can hear, you know, you know, music and, you know, shouting and all this stuff around. And I remember we were walking around that second level. We were about ready to kind of go up the next set of stairs to the third level. And this girl is standing outside. And I remember as I'm walking by, she like reaches and tries to grab hand. she like swats hand is trying to like, Lure me into going in there, and I remember just afterwards just being like, "Oh man, my heart just yeah. broke." I'm like, "That's the language she knows." Yep, you know, and, like, and
1: she was taught that. That's yeah. the other piece. Like that's exactly yeah. Oh, like it's
0: not real love. It's not, and uh, like engaging in anything like that is just going to leave you even more sad, even more depressed. You know what I mean? Because then you have all the shame and all of that added on, and. and then we stopped just at the base of the stairs to the third level. And he goes, all right, so this is where the real stuff goes down in this, this plaza. He said, this is where you're going to feel. He's like, it's just, he's like, I would really strongly encourage you to not look too much. He's like, I need you guys to know what you're dealing with. That's where we're going here. We're prayed up. But um, yeah, there was some very open uh nefarious acts going on um uh, that. Yeah. Um, just out in the open up there. And so we go up there and on the second level, I felt this insane weight on the third level. I was like, I mean, my knees were buckling. I was like, this is insane. Like this is dark, heavy stuff. And, uh, and so that was like, he's like, we're just going to go through. I just need you guys to know what you're dealing with. So that one, we didn't spend too much time up there. We just kind of walked through. Cause there's a lot of like, private rooms up there and there were some you know bigger facilities up there too but um yeah like i said there were some people out on the balcony that were engaging in yeah you know yeah yeah not yeah. Good stuff. Uh, yeah 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 so, things yeah things that you
1: were like probably like this should just can you go into a <laughs> like,
0: right yeah like, like yeah no shame uh yeah and so yeah we yeah. so went back down to the bottom floor and then he debriefed us again he's like all right so what we're gonna do is we're gonna break up into groups And this is what you're going to do. We have a bunch of these envelopes um, and you're just going to engage people. And obviously you don't want to push too hard because, you know, but, you know, it's a a black envelope with a question mark on it. So worst case scenario, they take it with them and then they read it somewhere else within their hotel room. Ideally, they read it before they go and engage in, you know, sexual acts. But, you know, um, and so, man, it's crazy though, because I remember the faces of every single man I, bet. That I talked to. Oh yeah. Still. And it was in 2009. I still remember the faces of, uh, and I pray for them regularly. Uh, what
1: was, what was that emotion that you saw in their face that you felt from them?
0: I felt, well, first of all, I felt absolute compassion towards them. I didn't feel angry at what they were doing. I was so intent I like there was just I don't remember all the conversations I had, but I remember their faces, the the ones that they counted because we engaged with other people. But there were there were several people that I engaged with that are where they really stopped and we talked. And I remember their faces. Um, So uh, a lot of it was just, man, for some of them, it just felt like it's kind of like what I was talking about. Like they were there looking for love. They were lost. Uh, and I just felt like specifically with one guy who's from Ireland and what was interesting about him was he was about my dad's age actually Mm -hmm. at the time. So he was probably like, I don't know, late forties probably, uh, at the time he was, uh, separated from his wife who's still in Ireland. So were his kids, but he was dating a woman, a Thai woman who was a she was in prostitution and now she's like a door girl. Like she kind of slash manager, but that's what she used to do. And That's how he met her was through prostitution. And he's like, yeah, he's like my, I mean, these guys will open up to you too, which is crazy. A lot of these guys are kind of at the end of the rope. So they're, you know, it, uh, especially if they feel like you're not coming out with both barrels of like, how could you uh, think of the, think of the women and children and, you know, um and you just look at them as actually like a a, a man I'm a, I'm I'm a man and I'm looking at this guy as a man with some ounce of respect enough to look at him like a normal person and i remember this guy he was like he just started opening up to me and he was like yeah oh, he's like uh you know in ireland you have to be separated for x amount of years before you can actually legally get a divorce and so i've been separated from my wife for several years we haven't reached that mark yet. So I'm just here and my kids don't want to talk to me. And, uh, you know, cause I started asking him all these questions like, oh, well, well, you know, how does your wife feel about this? And cause he said, I'm actually still married technically. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, tell me more. And, and so, um, I remember I was talking to him and at this time I would met my wife. So we were dating at the time. Yeah. Um, so we I hadn't even been dating for a year yet, but um I remember I was talking to him about love and he goes, he's like, What is love? He's like, and I go, Love is a choice. I was like, Love is a choice, man. Cause he was like, Oh, we just fell out of love. I said, Well, what happened with your wife? He goes, Oh, we just fell out of love. And I said, Love love is actually a choice. I was like, Love is a commitment you make. And I was like, Yeah, there are feelings attached to it, but it's it's deeper than that. It's a commitment. Yeah. And he, and I said, it's a choice. And he just got, I could tell that God really started Uh-oh. to grab a hold of him because he just stared. Wow. He got this like really long stare and he's just like, love is a choice. Love is, he just kept repeating. He's like, love is a choice. And he was just like, wow. And, uh, and so then that was oh, my, wow. that was my open door to actually preach the gospel to him. And cause we don't, that's actually not the foot we lead with, because there are certain stipulations within like Thai government like we had to be crafty in how we did it he said but if they bite you have free license to really just engage in that conversation and so that was my opportunity and it was just like man it was just like yeah so he's a guy that i pray for often still you know that's amazing uh, yeah, so many oh. years ago so you have these moments of just like really like seeing these guys as human beings who are loved by god but are so lost, you know? And it's like, uh, no, cause no one, look, no one in their right mind would go. Yeah. I want to, I want to take, I, I want to take advantage of this girl or I want to go with this girl. I don't, I do not care. She was trafficked. I am after yeah. this. I am looking for something specific. A lot of yeah. these guys aren't, I mean, that's kind of the same thing with like a pornography addiction too, is it's not, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of statistics around like, human trafficking as it pertains to pornography as well. And yeah, there's a lot of technology that can hide an expression on someone's face, you know, and, you know, someone who's stuck in that is, that's not, they're not, they're not thinking about that. Like there's something there that God can only fill that they're trying to fill and pack in with people do that with food. People do that with like all kinds of other things to alcohol, drugs, like whatever it is. So it's not just, a sexual addiction, um, of some sort, you know, but, uh, that was probably, that was just an amazing thing. And it, it's crazy to think like, I haven't, I haven't done anything that extreme since then, but it was so impactful for me. And I'm just like, man, like I just, yeah, I would love, I would love to do something like that again. I think that would be amazing just because I have such a heart amazing. for men actually being men Who, who God God, how created God, them to yeah, be. who God created them to be.
1: Yeah. So I think there's so much there, but I have done a lot of training on the issue of trafficking. Originally I had worked and ran an anti-trafficking program and worked with young people. And then it slowly grew into training systems, training communities, training, whoever wanted training. And so I, I always tell people that if you really want to work in this field and you want to actually make a difference, you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of a survivor, in the shoes of a trafficker and in the yeah. shoes of a buyer. If you yeah. cannot do that across the board, you you really need to question why you're doing it to begin with, because to make yeah. real change and to be do it with heart you have to be able to see why a person buys sex why the heart of it why a person is buying sex why someone is trafficking another human being and why someone is ending up as a survivor or someone who was in the life and so that's so real
0: acknowledging like if you are in that place of like maybe you like the idea of you know, running an anti-trafficking, uh, you know, organization and, and, you know, being on the front lines and all this stuff. And, and, and if you are really wrestling with those, taking them to the Lord, but also making sure that you're not running out of an ideal that you created in your mind of like, this would be like, God may have said, started, you know, start this organization, but then you filled in the blanks with a bunch of your own assumptions you know, which has been like the story of my life, uh, (laughs) very many things, Yes. you know, so I, i very much, I'm coming at it from a place of humility. People, please believe me.
1: (laughs) No, I just think that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that because I do think, especially in America, there's not, there's such a, a, not enough empathy for people who are buying sex. And, um, yes. They should not be, of course, but like let's get to the heart of it. Like, let's get them to Jesus and yeah. Well, let's ask it's the, Jesus. What right, is it's happening? the same
0: with with anything else. Yep. Why?
1: Yes. You know, yep. it's like
0: oh, we can attack a symptom or a byproduct of a problem. We do that. We tend to do that a lot, especially in Western society, where we make a byproduct of an issue the issue. And I'm like, it's not going to solve the problem. You know, uh, and that's why I think like men's mental health too is a, is a big concern for me. And it's actually, I would say, within the past six months, has become a, a more increasing thing for me. As I've just been seeing a lot more stuff. I'm just like, man, like, like we we have to ask ourselves why men are doing crazy things. Why are the majority of suicides men? Why are men? Why are the depression rates for men so high? Why are men doing this and that? Like, we need to ask why rather than attacking. The byproduct, because that's not actually going to fix the problem. You know, you know, it's like if 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 a person, you know, to use the throwing things analogy again, if if a person has an issue of throwing things at people, yeah, and they always seem to pick up plates, you don't go, well, we need to ban plates, we need to get rid of plates. That's gonna, I'm like, you need to start asking why he's throwing things in the first place, because it's not the plates, it's this, this other thing. So I I view sex trafficking, I view Men, um, the Johns specifically involved in that whole arena, the people buying these sir paying for these services, you need to ask ourselves, why, why are they doing it? Don't vilify them as these, you know, scummy people. Look, some of them have done scummy things. And I think the punishment fits the crime with, with some of these things these, these people have done um, callous to the point of feeling absolutely nothing when trafficking women and children like there's something something going on there but i do think that there's something to be said about like hey we need to start really start asking like okay, why why are predominantly men going and in, in, in getting these services uh engaging in these horrific things like why yeah. so yeah. yeah
1: i feel like this is where our cross maybe our paths cross a little bit because i think like in storylines just because when I so I've been in and out of the anti-trafficking realm and I um essentially God has really shifted my mindset into going deeper with healing inner healing and and um I've always done the work with like God showing me telling me things um all that stuff but it really has been probably the last year where God has really shifted and pulled me into like, there is, there's more for survivors than anyone involved in this. He's like, Tatiana, I want you to go deeper with me because they they, these people like survivors, buyers, traffickers need me. And it's mm-hmm. not a lot of organizations are doing the deliverance piece. Not a lot of organizations are doing um, that deeper healing work that is necessary and bringing these people to Jesus and so I feel like um as I listen okay. to your guests and listen to you talk with your guests I see a lot of that like you feeling the same way like what we need right now is almost like gotta take us higher to solve the issues that we have right now in America so That's it. yeah so that right. might be a good segue and you know into just Elisha fire and how that kind of came to be. Cause I am really curious. Yeah.
0: How that even started. So I'll, I'm going to try and make this section as brief as possible. I mean, (laughs) it's like, I left why in 2011. And then from 2011 to 2018, I did a myriad of things. I went to film school. I got married. I, you know, like all this stuff. And so But I think that, the the, I I guess the meat of that season, which was, uh, let's see. So I went to film. I got married in 2011. We took a year off from, you know, missions and all kinds of other stuff. And then we both were seeking the Lord. And we, uh, on a one-year anniversary, we both heard Kona, Hawaii, film school. And I was like, okay. And so, um,
1: were you like sweet? Yes. I am so yeah, I was like, I'm finally, so like,
0: cause there's just so much <laughs> delay. And I think for me, like, as you know, that's a whole nother topic about just like, even acknowledging myself as an artist was a very long process. Um, was it? okay. And, and, oh yeah. Um, uh, I just felt f- like a fraud saying definitively, I am a filmmaker. I'm like, Oh, oh wow, like, uh, I don't know, you know? uh and so that's, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a point and a little, little later, but, but That's really interesting. yeah, but Lauren, we, we were both, so we were in YWAM and YWAM has a university called University of the Nations and you can actually get a degree there. And so they have like an actually really good film school there. Um, and yeah. And, and so I was able to do it through YWAM because I was in, I was a YWAM alumni you have access to these kinds of things. And so um, they're very much like modular learning too. I think they call it modular learning where they would much rather just thrust you into stuff to learn rather than, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk for three months about stuff before you ever touch a camera day one. They're like, all right, we're going to be messing around with cameras, you know, and like uh, we're going to explain theory as we go along and composition as we go along. And so it's, they actually expedite it so much. So this school is three or four months. So it it is so effective that people have gone on to go apply for like two year film schools and they describe what they learned and they're like, you actually don't need to do this two year school. You learned all of that in four months, you know, and they, that's the, that's the way they like, like a friend of mine actually went on to be a midwife. And that's how they do it. They, they literally, th- they, you obviously aren't delivering the person delivering babies on day one, but you are helping deliver babies almost like within like a week or two weeks, you know? So it's very much like, and the whole idea is they want to train people up to get back into the mission field. If that's where your God is calling you Train you as quick as possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so that was the way it was. And so Lauren was looking, my wife, Lauren, and she was like, Oh, do they have an art school? And sure enough, The art school was starting in January. My film school was starting three or four months after that. And so I was like, oh, this is great. And so I worked for a production house on site uh, doing, uh, you know, different video production things in the months that Lauren was in art school. Uh, And then Lauren did an internship. And then I did my film school and I just did. And I was like, I felt like I was on top of the world. Like it was this moment for me also. It was like, God. I, you know, me, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to chase a pipe dream. I don't want to like be like, Oh, I love the idea of being a filmmaker, but I don't have what it takes. I said, if I, if I don't have what it takes, I will drop this right now. I will, this will be the last thing. And I just, Oh my gosh. Like I just, I, again, another moment in my life, Memorial stone moment where I just like came like alive I was so engaged I was like in this creative just like it was just like walking like pure creativity like had so many ideas and and I did really well so much so that like at the end of the year or at the end of the class everybody does their own short film and all the all the other students you're all part of their crew you know running camera lights all this stuff um and there's an acting school that runs in tandem so that's your pool of actors to pull from and try to yeah and so, yeah. And so, uh, uh, everybody does a short film. And then at the end, the, the kind of like the last phase, everybody goes and pitches before the class and all of the producers who are, oh, um, uh, you know, they're on staff and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and you pitch your story idea and there are only three that can be chosen. And mine was one of them. And, um, and so, I did so well that the, the, the head of the whole film department came up to me and said, Hey, Jeff, because at the, basically you can move on to, you can move on to um, the, there, there's like an internship thing and I really wanted to, but we felt like we're, we're being called home. That's a story for story for another day. Uh, But, but um, he said, I know you're going home. He said, but next year, I want to extend an offer to you. I would love to have you come back. And he's like, spend this next year writing um, a story, um, a, a, a a short film, and uh, when the internship happens again next year, the internship will be your crew to make your movie. And I was like, whoa, man, that's uh, amazing. And and so I was like, well, thank you. Yeah, I'll definitely pray about that. And and so I. We got home. We actually moved in with my father-in-law who lived up in Washington and there was some stuff going on there and he just wasn't doing well, just kind of isolated and, and out in the country and just, um, he's a teacher, but so during the summer he's by himself and he was just dealing with some depression and stuff like that. And so, um, we were like, it was kind of a mutually beneficial thing because us going to Kona was so radical in terms of just like stepping on in faith. That's again, a story for another day that he, all of our stuff was housed at his place anyways. And so he extended the offer to us. He's like, you, maybe you guys could come stay with me and you guys could just kind of save some money. And, and, you know, it's so really, like, that's yeah. like the and best. We, yeah. Right. And it's so very, it was, yep. it was a mutually beneficial thing. We were filling the house with laughter and joy and yes. <laughs> some consistency and normality. And, and he was also providing some stability for us as we kind of got back on our feet. And So we went and that was the beginning of, it was like a, like a switch flipped, like Mm. all the creative, all the creativity in me completely shut off the second we got there. And that was that way for three years. And so as a result of being a creative, uh, you can get kind of depressed, you know, uh, not feel like you have that outlet. All of a sudden it was just like, nothing would come. Like nothing would come into my mind of like, you know, and my, my, what ended up happening was my imagination was still active, even though it was just like, if you could think of it like sparks, but there was no fuel to actually ignite a fire, but it was just these sparks. And so I was like, all right, well, God, my imagination, something you gifted me with, I'm going to be a good steward. So I'm going to just write any ideas I have down, like just, I'm going to be a good steward with that. And I'm just going to write. So for three years, I would sit down and try and write, just trying to be diligent. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And um
1: Did God ever tell you why? Because I would be like, yo, God, like, you know, the yeah, thing that we just did together. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, yeah. what the heck, man? Like, what's going on? Uh, yeah. Uh oh, yeah. It, that's kind of that's part so of the hard. larger it's part of the larger story. Uh but yes, he did. Um Okay. And so I, uh, I've told the story a couple of times on Elijah fire, uh, but um, I was working at Trader Joe's. So we were living in Yakima, Washington. We moved down to the Portland metro area. And before we left for Kona, I was working for Trader Joe's. One of my supervisors who I really got along with, he moved up to a, a town called Beaverton, which is in the Portland metro area. Portland's like a cluster of a bunch of cities but portland's like just the downtown area um and so uh it's a place called beaverton and he was working at trader joe's there and i said hey man like uh you got an opening and he's like absolutely we'll make room for you come down you know you're hired and so i you know we moved down so this is 2014 now um okay. and so still creative drought all that stuff and so i worked there for two years and this is so this is 2016 And my wife and I had both worked morning shifts at different places and our days off didn't always align. And so there was one day where she was at working and I got up and I was just talking to the Lord and I was just like, and then all of a sudden it was just like, bang, like all this, like, it was like the tap got turned back on again. And all of a sudden I just was like, where's my journal? like, (laughs) Like. writing i couldn't write fast enough and it was just this amazing time of god's presence but also creativity and it was like it wasn't even like creative stuff that you would go oh that's a that's a christian film that he's making it was just it was just god's presence and me creating something uh writing out something ideas for something and and um and so fast forward 2 days it's like on a Sunday I'm I'm out in we have this thing called the Thunderdome in the back which is the Mad Max reference for anybody who knows that reference um but uh it's this cage where we store a bunch of like pallets and stuff outside so I'm out there and it's toward the end of my shift because I got off at noon so it was like 11:30 30 or something like that and there's this pallet of bananas I I, I used to work produce and so that was always my last thing during the day I would tear down and stage the banana boxes for people to work them later. And so I was breaking down this big pallet of bananas and I was just praying out loud to God because nobody was out there. And I was just like, God, whatever that was the other day, of just pure, you know, like, pure, pure creativity. Boom. I was like, whatever that was, thank you. I know that was you. And Tatiana, I don't know how to describe what happened next other than like, it felt like I got hit by lightning and I was like, boom and just like saturated with God's presence and i was just like so much so that i dropped the box of bananas and then I like fell over the top of it and i was like and i was just like what in the world was that i was like god what was that and, and i was like anyways and then i just started making the bananas <laughs> Back to
1: work oh yeah. my gosh
0: so fast forward to like a couple more days my sister and my brother-in-law both text me individually and they're like jeff i can't believe we totally forgot they're like on Sunday, this guy was preaching at our church, and he all of a sudden stops in the middle of what he's saying, and he just goes, "Is there a Jeff here?" He's like Jeff, and there was no Jeff, and he's like Jeff. He's like, I see I see a green light, and I see Jeff, and he's like Jeff. And he's like I'm just going to prophesy this because it was being recorded. And he's like Jeff. God is releasing creativity in you, and it's going to open up avenues for you to make money, to be successful in creativity. Uh, yeah, I just see, I see Jeff and I see a green light. Well, I found out he prophesied that at the same time I was out, out back with the, the in the Thunderdome.
1: Oh man. Yeah.
0: And so what's crazy is like, that was a big marker moment for me in 2016. It was That's around so April cool. of 2016 of just a release of, of creativity again, but it was different because I think for me, to answer your question from earlier, there was still a lot I had to learn and I still have to learn, but there's a a lot I had to learn about trusting God. And really the essence of the, the the important detail of that time when I felt like creativity unlocked in me again, was it was saturated in God's presence. And I think that there's this misconception of like, we, we were like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to dive into the word. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. All right. So that's done. All right. So now I'm going to go do my own thing and be creative over here. And, 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 and almost like what you're doing, God's displeased with, because it doesn't have Jesus in every single, you know, like, or like you're a painter and, and in your art, not all of it has a cross or none of it has a cross, you know, I'm like, you know, it's just, so for me, it was just like, really began this message of whatever you do, Whatever it is, whether it's you know you're a filmmaker or you're a painter or you are a uh, a, a a contractor or you are running an anti-human trafficking organization mm-hmm. or you're a teacher or you're whatever it is, whether you're depressed or you're sad or you're happy or you're afraid or you have doubts about God all those things, whatever it is, everything needs to stem from your relationship with him and any of those negative things you have or positive things you run to him with them, not away from him. And so I just like, it really began this thing for me of like, no matter what it is, it has to stem from my relationship with God. It has to. So, you know, it's like, even, like a lot of the stuff, like, I don't feel, and I'm very open about this on Elijah fire. I do not feel called to make Christian overtly Christian movies or TV shows, nothing against the chosen, nothing against those things. There, there is an absolute space for those things. And, you know, I think Dallas Jenkins is doing a great job, uh, you know, but, but it's not, I, for so long, I felt so ashamed of that like i felt something was wrong with me and so as a result because i didn't feel like yeah i want to make facing the giants you know i want to make into the movie like facing the giants you know uh i do not i do not uh
1: it's going to uh, be like a christian version of mad max
0: right right christian <laughs> version of mad max yeah um and uh yeah so um i just have never felt pulled in that direction and so for a long time i felt ashamed of that i felt like something was wrong with me, like I needed to change. And so as a result, I couldn't get resolution from that. And so for years I was like, take this away from me, God. Like, I don't want, I don't want this desire. I don't, I don't want to be in filmmaking because I can't get rid of this thing. Like I can't, for some reason it's just like people be like, Oh, you love the world, you know, like all that. And, and, um, and so I was like, just take this away. And then God would confirm my calling into that Avenue again. And then I'd be like, no, no, no no, take this away is what <laughs> this, I said I don't know
1: if you heard me the first time yeah God. and then he would yeah. call me he would like yeah. so it was
0: all these things over the years and I'd be like constantly just like giddy in like, God, if this is you, make the do not be on the thing and then the do's not on the thing and then I'm like, and then I'm like, and then I'm like, okay, God, if this is you. <laughs> <laughs> then don't do this thing you know like it, it, it i was totally like getting I was in so
1: been there yes
0: yeah i think a lot of people have and, and so for me it was like you know years and years and years of denying that but honestly oh, man i i almost think that god was like he wanted me he wanted that because it was like i know that any doors he has opened any any seeds of creativity, um, any blessing that's come my way in regards to that has been because of my surrendering to him. And I think that there's this misconception with like, yeah, but like God's going to like make me like go and like, yeah, make Facing the Giants, you know, or Christian version of Mad Max, you know, and he might, but he might not. And it's not for us to decide. And ultimately, surrendering to him is what yields the most fulfillment regardless of what happens in my life. And, and for me, I think filmmaking was still an idol, even though there was, you know, I recognize there was a lot of great moments with the Lord during my film school, uh, providing solutions for certain issues I was having with like, okay, I have to cast a, a, a third actor in my, my short, but I only have two parts. God, what do I do? And like, he absolutely gave me a solution that was actually made, made the story better. Um, So there were still those moments, but I think for me, it was just like a lot of confidence issues still, uh, you know, a lot of dealing with worthiness issues. I think those had run down from my dad. Uh, like I talked about it earlier, but you know, a lot of that stuff I think was, was definitely all part of it. So for me, it was like, it was, a it's been a multi-layered process of getting to that place of even being able to acknowledge myself. As a filmmaker, and there are two instances that I can think of where people, random strangers, actually were like the voice of God, where I was praying and I remember one time I was I was in LA. So this was around 2000 I think this was probably 2010 at this point. I was I had a camera which was larger than normal. So anytime anybody sees in Hollywood sees you with a larger than normal camera, they're like, <laughs> Oh, I cannot. A filmmaker? I'm an actor. You should have me, you know, like here's my Here's my reel. You know, like that's the, I that happened a lot. Um, and so this one guy comes up to me, and I'm on Hollywood Boulevard, and I'm just like, I don't know, just shooting stuff for fun. And he comes up and he does that. He's like, hey, are you an actor? Or are you, are you a filmmaker? I'm like, Oh, I'm an aspiring filmmaker. That's what I would say with air quotes. And <laughs> and uh and he's like, Oh, he's like, Well, I'm an actor. I I uh I've been in this and this and this. Here's my reel, here's my card, blah blah blah. blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, thank you. And then he's walking away. He turns around and he goes, oh. And he's like, and you aren't an aspiring filmmaker. You are a filmmaker. And he walks away. And I was just like, I felt this kind of like, like lurch lurch in my chest. And I was like, well, that one hit a little deep. Uh, And um, fast forward to when I'm in Beaverton, Portland, metro areas. Who listens to Elijah Fire. uh, There was a 300th episode that we did that uh, uh, last week. And I talked a little bit about this. Um, I've just um, kind of was in a really dark place. And so it was during that time and really, again, like creative drought, all this stuff. And I'm like, this must be, this must mean that God has answered my prayer and He's stopped. He's taken this away from me. Right. But then at the same time, you just feel empty. Like, like there's a part of you, like, this is some, this is a purpose God has put in my heart to fulfill. Um, and it's for his purposes, obviously, but you know, I I was like this part of me had been divorced from from me, you know, almost. And I was just like meh, depressed and you know, all these things. And and this this guy comes in and he's like, and I'm like, so what are you up to today? And you know, I'm at Trader Joe's working Trader Joe's and you're know, just talking to the guy and he's like, Oh, well, today's my first day I was able to quit my job and and now I support myself, you know, with my own private business. And I was like, Oh that's awesome, good for you. And he's like, he's like, I is, and I was like, what do you do? He's like, Oh, like I help people I achieve their dreams and, and, and I seek after whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. And he's like, so what do you, what do you want to do? I was like, he's like, do you want to do this for the rest of your life? He he was just playing around and um, he wasn't talking down to me or anything. I was like, no, I was like, I don't actually, I was like, I was talking about filmmaking and stuff. And I was like, I'm an aspiring filmmaker. I said that again, and to air quotes and you know, he was like talking to me and, you know, uh, he's like, well, if you're ever interested in, you know, whatever, you know, here's my, here's my card and all that. And I was like, great. He walks out and I'm like getting ready to help the next person. And all of a sudden I I hear him tap the counter. And he looks at me he'd come back and he goes, and by the way, you are a filmmaker. You're not an aspiring filmmaker. And he just walks away. And I was like, oh, that's the second time yes. a random person has that's said to amazing. me. Amazing. I knew that even then. And I was like, okay. And so for me, I think it was just like, you know, I, I can tend to be more of an idealist. And I think that, I think that that is a blessing from God, but it can also be greatly distorted by our flesh. Right. So you can be an idealist and be like, I, I want, okay. Uh, let's say you rescue, uh, you rescue women from, um, you know, uh, sex trafficking dens or whatever they call them, uh, brothels and things like that. And say, you didn't get them all. God called you to rescue them, but now you're looking at it going, but I didn't get them all, right? And so suddenly now you're like, that ideal can actually drive you mad. It can actually drive you into depression, which can open up doors for a lot of uh, ungodly things to come in. And so I think for me, that's what I've really had to wrestle with throughout my life is idealism gone mad. I think there's a godly idealism. There is uh, a very godly thing of looking at something and seeing the way it could or should be. In alignment with the kingdom and then moving in accordance with that, knowing that it's not going to be perfect, knowing and allowing yourself to have grace because God has grace on you. Okay. So there's that, but then it can be driven mad by going, yeah, but I didn't get them all, or I didn't do it perfectly, or I didn't, I fumbled with this and I shouldn't have fumbled because I've had so much training and, or I shot this wrong and I, I know better. And I've had all those thoughts, even working at the Elijah list. And so yeah. I don't know if you have any questions before I move yeah, on. Yeah, but... no,
1: it just I all everything, this piece of your story really just like I feel it's like grace, that idea of grace upon grace upon grace. And like yeah. I think that um especially like you're speaking a little bit to where I am at currently, but I just am constantly amazed at the even in our brokenness, like complete brokenness, complete self-doubt, complete like anger, even like God just meets us time and time again
0: right. with
1: his goodness, his love and his grace and keeps pushing us forward. I mean, Oh my
0: gosh. it's he's so, so I mean,
1: he's so faithful. I would have been done with me. Like
0: probably. I really would have too. <laughs> like I'd be like, <laughs> like, really? We're going over this again. Yes. Bye. I don't know how many times I need to tell you. This. Literally, literally, so, yeah. yes. So yeah.
1: that's what this reminds me of. But um, sorry,
0: God, I'm so annoying. Yes. He doesn't think I'm annoying, you know, like <laughs> because I think the difference is that we run. Like I continue, continue to find myself at in his in his throne room. I continue to find yeah, myself running yep. to him, and that's what moves his heart. Is not like, yeah, you screwed up but here you are again. And, and you, my mercy is new every morning, you know, my mercies are new every morning. So yep,
1: yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even today I had a moment um, of just like pure, like I was just like emotional this morning, like just totally in my feels and like mm-hmm. so annoying. Then like I collect myself, I pray, give it to God. Yeah. And like an hour later I'm like in the best worship I've ever like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> God, i give you I'm like what is wrong with me Dude, like I, god yeah. it's just like i'm sure just like you know you need to chill man <laughs> well
0: i always laugh on the part when like elijah is like i'm gonna die all hope is lost and the angel's like take a nap and here's some food you know like, like literally just you're like,
1: angry let's get it together yeah, yeah man
0: there's something there's something on that man they're taking a nap and i think people try to like Look, I'm sure maybe there's a deeper spiritual I tend to find a lot of humor. I tend to find a lot of humor in the Bible. So for me, I see that and I'm like, like that's a very real human thing. And the angels like this journey is very hard for you. Here, take a nap. Here's some food. You know what I mean? And I think he does it twice. You know, like, and it's just like I so I always laugh at that, you know. It's just yeah.
1: Like, yeah. So, oh yeah. man. So, and also I was curious, sorry, I know, no, um, good. but in really figuring out that you are an artist, did you feel like I do see that you have like shifted drastically from one thing to another and God has given you the grace to do that shift of like complete different directions of career yeah. changes or mm-hmm. life changes that are so opposite from each other. Oh yeah. And so as that, as those shifts were happening, like, did you see that in yourself? Like, I mean, when God said, go to filmmaking school, were you like, yeah, yeah this is what I've been wanting to do. Or were you like, what? Like,
0: uh, it was a bit of, no, okay. it was, I mean, like, cause I had always felt a, a call towards filmmaking, uh, like ever since I was a kid, but I didn't think I was worthy of it, you know? And I was just like, you know, um, so it and- was always
1: like in your heart. Like yeah, idea, but it was always desire, something that I buried.
0: Yeah. I always buried down because it's just like again, my my family didn't really aim high; they aimed safe, yep. you know. And so, uh, yeah, um, and so it's just like I think that's a call on a lot of millennials and Gen Z is like aim high because uh, that's that's how I work, you know. And and if you're following God, if you're really following God, it, God is inevitable. You are going to be pushed into a position. Where you've got to aim high um and so i think that's something that god is really put on you know those two generations and not just those two generations I mean, there's plenty of this God is doing in the the older generations of course so i'm not you know throwing shade or anything like no. that but, <laughs> no but, i think but,
1: it's true though i do think there is something to yeah. younger generations really Seeking out the creativity inside of them, like yeah, in a different way. Absolutely.
0: There's a lot of creatives that are yep. that are that are emerging now or being positioned. And and so for me, it was interesting because like when I went into film school, for example, I was like, I, I mean, I knew it was like my heart's like my heart's desire, right? That was something that God had put there. but there was also like I am way under equipped for this. Uh and what was interesting is that I talk about this a lot on my show too, is When I got into the director's chair, all of a sudden, I realized this feels really familiar. And I was like, why does this feel so familiar? Like, I know what to do. Like, I'm not intimidated by having all these eyes on me looking for decisions and things like that. And I was like, it's because, okay, uh, pause, 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 rewind a couple of years to why I went. All right. I would have these moments of like whoa what was me because i'd be like i'm in missions but i'll be like i'm but like i keep feeling this like filmmaking desire but i don't even feel released to even jump into it yet even privately which sounds weird but that's just the way it was you know because like well why wouldn't you like get up and just like shoot stuff you know um and i did occasionally but um and i worked with cameras and did film videography and stuff like that but um, anyways, I would sit there and talk to the Lord and I'm like, Oh God, this is the why is this, uh, why am I even here? And he'd be like, Jeff, did you, did you, do you believe that I'm calling you into the film industry? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, okay, but did you also hear me lead you into missions? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, carry on. <laughs> and that happened numerous times. He'd be like, all right, well, you don't have, any, you don't have anything to worry about or carry on or whatever. But he would always stop and ask me that when I'd get that, he's like, did you, wherever you are, whatever I was in, did you feel my leading here? Yes. Do you also feel my leading over there? Yes. And I'm like, okay. So again, it's like going back to what I talked about at the beginning of, of what is at our disposal in our world. Okay. So now going back to when I was sitting in the director's chair. I was like, this sounds, this feels really familiar. And I realized it was because I'd spent all that time leading teams in foreign countries where everybody's looking to me and I have to make decisions and you get very comfortable in that arena. And I realized God is going to fulfill his purpose, whether I like it or not, you know, like in terms of if I'm following him in obedience, that purpose is going to be fulfilled, right? Isaiah 55, 11 says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So I actually don't have to, the burden's not on me to fulfill that word. I just have to be, be, I have to, I just have to move in obedience and yeah, there's hardship that comes with being obedient. There are discomforts that come with being but, but in terms of, of fulfilling that purpose. I the God's the one's gonna have to open that door and I know that. And so I realized in that moment that God had Mr. Mr. Miyagi'd me, like people who've seen karate kid. Daniel's son is like, he's like, I want to learn karate. And then uh, Mr. Miyagi's like, all right, wax, <laughs> wax my car, wax on, <laughs> wax off, wax on, wax up, Clean my house. Clean my house. Do, and he's yes. teaching him all these motions, doing this, and he's like man, like, what am I going to do? Karate. And he's like, put the thing down and he's like, do the motion. And then he's like doing the karate with him. And he's like, dude, I know karate. And so he was teaching him how to do karate through other motions and actually teaching him humility and patience, gentleness, all those things. God does the exact same thing with us. And so that was one of many instances sitting in that director's chair where I realized, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, like whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter, as long as I dig in, I press in, I stay engaged, I seek his face, and I'm obedient and diligent with whatever has been placed in front of me to do, he's, he's going to fulfill his purposes in my life. And so for me, that was like a big moment where I was like, dude. So I've had a lot of instances, yeah, where like, you know, the whole like, I've, I'm calling you to be a CEO, now go be a janitor kind of situations throughout my entire life. Um, even including working for the Elijah list, you know, has been, you know, was that as well? Not that I equate working there as being a janitor, but you know, yeah.
1: How did you start? Well, first of all, it's funny because I have such a love hate relationship with the movie, um, about Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Yes. So much so that I did not watch it for a very long time, but I remember watching it. And I, even my kids have started watching it. And I, even now I'm like, this is like, so ridiculous. Like they like this. I feel like there's like something spiritual that God is trying to tell me as you said it, but, um, I'm always like, there's no way, like, come on. Like this is ridiculous. Like <laughs>
0: yeah, it was the eighties. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Um, but you're so right. Like, I love that. Yeah. My husband is going to appreciate the fact that you mentioned that and brought yeah. it back around to how god really <laughs> uses sumiages,
0: yes yeah. yes yes yeah um, so yeah
1: so when you started at, at elijah list because it is under this umbrella of um like the media realm yeah. it was that um, your initial like did you come to elijah list kind of with this podcast in mind this live stream
0: okay no no so i started in 2008 so i you know we eventually moved back down to salem in 2016 um and then you know fast forward two years um I, i started feeling that same thing of like man there's something more like january of 2018 i just felt like god was like get ready that's like what he said to me i was like get ready okay oh sir yes sir you know
1: Wow. I hope that this conversation impacted you as much as it did for me. Listening to Jeff's story, also listening to all the work he's done in the mission field was truly, truly inspiring for me. And also gave me a different perspective of looking at the demand side that happens in the human trafficking space. So God truly worked on my heart as Jeff and I were speaking and talking. So thank you for joining tune in in the next few weeks for the next episode and until then love you all god bless you and talk soon